welcome to the Grand Point Church Podcast. We're a church serving the South Central Pennsylvania area with a mission to help as many people as possible take their next steps to find and follow Jesus. If you aren't already, make sure to connect with us online through social media or at grandpoint.church and let us know how God is moving in your life. All right, Grand Point, how's everybody doing this morning? Are you glad to be here? Yes, awesome. I'm glad to be here. Welcome to our online audience. We're so grateful for you guys. Thank you for showing up this morning online or whenever you're watching this. Uh, Have you enjoyed the view so far, folks? Come on. Let me hear you. It's been an awesome, awesome series. And uh, today, I've got some sad news. We're bringing it to a close. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, I know you're kind of sad to see it go, but uh, today is going to be the last message in the View series where we are trying to unpack a biblical worldview, a biblical worldview. What, What does the Bible actually say about some very key questions that our culture is asking? We need to know that as a church, and we need to be able to share that as a community. Um, Before we get into that, we had an exciting weekend. Let's get the obvious out of the way. You can see the big gash on my forehead right there. Cressa was not using her claws on me. Everyone needs to know that. That was not what was happening. It was me and a light post decided to get in a scuffle, and I lost, okay? That's just how the weekend went. But then we went to uh, Camp Ulidua. Yes! And uh, hanging out with our teenagers this weekend, Friday and Saturday for me. And Cressa is still there. She's actually speaking at our youth retreat this weekend and doing a phenomenal job. God is working among our teenagers. And we are, oh my goodness, it was so powerful. Friday night, Saturday morning. I know last night they were having a campfire with communion together. It's going to be a powerful, powerful evening. God is definitely at work drawing people, his, his teenagers to himself. If you would, would you join me in just a very brief prayer? Uh, they're beginning their uh, morning session this morning. So uh, would you join me real quick as we pray for our teenagers? Uh, Jesus, we thank you so much for the way you're working in our youth ministry and among our teens this morning and this weekend. We pray, we pray that you would show up in a powerful way, that you continue the work that your Holy Spirit has been doing to help those teenagers take their next steps. Jesus, we ask that you would help them to have a closing time that is just so special, uh, where they get to share how you're working in their lives and the very next steps that they are taking as a youth group and as a teenager, as a teenager. God, just be with them, give them safety on their travels home, and bring them back with full of stories to share of your faithfulness and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, uh, let me ask you a question. Have ever, any of you ever been mistaken for a celebrity? Let me, let me see some hands. Anybody mistaken for a celebrity? Okay. So, here's what I get. Uh, I get this sometimes, and they're like, hey, you remind me of that one celebrity guy. And I'm like, who is it? And I'm like, I'm not sure. And I'm like, can you tell me his name? No, I have no idea who this celebrity is. So I'm basically, I remind people of a celebrity that has no name. All right. So I decided to do some research for this and figure out what is the celebrity that everybody thinks that I look alike. Okay. So this is what I found. You can go on a website or an app or a Facebook thing and check this out for yourself if you're curious. But for me, here's my picture. And the first one, they gave you about 12 results or so. And the one that kind of stuck out to me was Ricky Martin. Come on. There he is. (laughs) What? You don't think I... What's wrong with that? 
Well, this next one ought to surprise you. I can definitely, definitely see the resemblance here. What about this next one? Snoop Dogg. Come on. I'm, I'm not kidding. That was one of the results that came up. I looked like Snoop Dogg. And I don't know if it's the, the, the beard thing or maybe it's the glazed eyes. I don't know what it is. I look like Snoop Dogg, y'all. But then uh, my, my mind just got curious and I was like, wait a minute. Since I'm on here, why not try out a few others? I wonder who Pastor Lawrence looks like. Anybody? I know you're curious about this. You probably already have your guesses, but here he is. First one, Pastor Lawrence looks like William Macy right there. True stuff. And you probably already guessed this one, but Mel Gibson. There it is. That's a bad picture. That's a bad picture. It's like before he went to prison or something. But anyway. And then I got even more curious, like, huh, I wonder about our newest staff member, Mike Carey. We love you, Mike. So there he is. Who does Mike Carey look like? And here, here it is. Uh, Tracy Morgan. Tracy Morgan. There's one. You can see the resemblance there. He's got that. And then Randy Jackson, y'all, put those glasses on. And he just looks like Randy Jackson right there. Here's the interesting thing. Out of the 12 or so results, not one of them was Snoop Dogg. And so here's the reality. I look more like Snoop Dogg than Mike Carey, y'all. It wasn't me. It was the, the test that I took. So that's, that was uh, some important stuff there. I finally fig figured out who my celebrity is. Well, here's the deal. Whether you or not you really look like a celebrity, that doesn't really matter. It's pretty easy to mistake people's identity. Would you agree? Uh, my grandma was notorious for this. Uh, she would actually call us all uh, the names in our family before she actually got to ours. Like, do you really know who we are? That's exactly a mistaken identity that's going on here. Well, this weekend, we are actually remembering Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, the day when Jesus enters Jerusalem one week before he's crucified. And to me, it is a sad day of mistaken identity. Mistaken identity. Uh, you can read about this in the Gospels, but in Luke's Gospel, it has a very interesting account. It has an interesting detail. Here's what's going on in Luke chapter 19. The crowds were hailing Jesus as their coming king. They placed palm branches on the ground, a symbol of peace and victory and triumph. Jesus actually rode a donkey into Jerusalem, another symbol of peace. And then he came in peace rather than riding a horse uh, where he would come in strength. He did not do that. But Luke's gospel records this detail. While the crowds were making a big fuss about Jesus and throwing this parade and celebrating his arrival, Jesus was weeping in this passage. He was weeping over the city because they didn't realize the significance of this one day, what his arrival truly meant, because they didn't get it. Jesus actually saw destruction in their future, verse 44, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Whoa. That's pretty telling, isn't it? What's Jesus saying here? What does that mean? It means it's a mistaken identity. You totally didn't get who I was. You misunderstood who I am, Jesus was saying. They thought he was their promised deliverer. They thought he was their coming king. They thought that he was their Messiah who would restore the kingdom of God by liberating Israel from their captors, Rome. 
It was a classic case of mistaken identity. Here's the reality. Jesus would deliver them from oppression, but it would be the oppression of sin, not those who were ruling over them. Jesus would conquer, but he would conquer death and the grave, not the kingdom that held the Israelites under their thumb. Jesus would restore the kingdom of God, but how would he do it? Not physically on this earth with an earthly kingdom yet, it's coming, but first of all, in our hearts with a new spiritual kingdom that would eventually overflow in the physical world as Christ's followers did what? As they shared the gospel, the good news. Well, here's the thing. If the first century Jews were expecting just another human hero to liberate them, they totally didn't get it. (laughs) But the reality is we would not have gotten it either. We would have been in the very same place. And I'm convinced, I fear, that we have the very same problem today. Today, we mistake Jesus's identity, his true identity. And that is actually how we get to the place where we think of Jesus as a way versus the way. There's a big difference. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Other religions, philosophies, worldviews, they make claims that are exclusive, every one of them. They all claim to be the right way. Even uh, relativism, we talked about that a few weeks ago, where there is no absolute truth and all truths are equal, right? That they claim to be the right way. You have to believe this in our culture today, right? They claim to be the right way. And then also we talk about pluralism, this idea that all beliefs or all religion or all belief systems are of equal value. Pluralism is so rampant in our day, but they're claiming to be the right way. Every, every claim out there is exclusive. So what makes Jesus different? What makes Christianity, what, does it, what sets it apart? Well, Christianity Today article says it plainly. The uniqueness of Christianity is rooted in the uniqueness of Jesus himself. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you how to find the truth. But Jesus says what? I am the truth. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you the way to salvation. But Jesus says, I am the way to eternal life. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you how you can become enlightened. What's Jesus say? I am the light of the world. Do you see the difference? The difference is actually in the person of Jesus himself. Do we really understand who he is? Because I believe this, and I'm going to repeat this. This is my key point for our main talk today. This is our main idea. I believe when we grasp who Jesus is, we will understand why he's the only way. When we grasp who he is, we'll understand why he's the only way. If Jesus is just another good moral teacher, a prophet of God, a guru, or a holy man, then go ahead and put him up on the same pedestal as everybody else in our history. But if he's more than that, if he's more than that, church, then this changes everything. It changes everything, even down to the very way that we live our lives. So let's cut to the chase. Jesus made some serious claims to divinity. He was somehow equal to or one with the Father. He does this this clearly in our key passage for today, John chapter 14. If you have a Bible, you want to turn there with us. 
If you don't have a Bible, we would love to get you one of those to get the truth of God into your hands. Stop by the hub after, uh, after we're done here today, and we'll hook you up with one of the Bibles uh, that we have. Here's the situation. In John 13, Jesus just finished the Last Supper with his disciples. He washed their feet. He shared the Passover meal with them. He gave them a new symbol to remember him by, the bread and the cup. The bread would symbolize his broken body. The cup would symbolize his spilled blood. Do you think they got it? Not yet. (laughs) They didn't get it. They didn't understand these new symbols until they saw him crucified and saw his body broken and saw his blood spilled out. He tells them, actually, that one of them is going to betray them. He tells another one, Peter, that he's actually going to deny him three times. And then the rest of them would scatter. It's kind of getting real for the disciples here. It's a humbling and a somber mood in this room. So Jesus switches the gears a little bit to try to comfort his disciples. And this is what he says in chapter 14, starting with verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Right from the start, he's putting himself on the same plane as his Father in heaven. At my Father's house has many rooms. And if that were not so, I would, have, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. You know the place to where I'm going, don't you? And I love Thomas's response. Here he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Probably the only guy in history that ever met, he never knew where he's going. Am I right, ladies? You just now got that. That's good. That's awesome. You know where you're going. That's good. Well, Jesus answered him. Here's what he said. I am the way, Thomas. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if this were not enough, he goes on. Let's continue in this passage. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Whoa. Philip, uh, he, he, st- he shouts this out. He, he mentions, Lord, j- just show us the Father, and that'll be enough. And this is actually where it gets real. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Can you imagine being there? Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I'm telling you, they don't spe- I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing this work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. There's not a whole lot to interpret here for you, church. Jesus puts it as plainly as he can. He is claiming to be one with the Father. His Father's living in him. And if you've seen him, you have seen the Father. Jesus is claiming to be God. Do you see it? 
And Philip knows this because he's a good Jewish boy, and he knows that no man can claim to be God. So he just asks Jesus, just show us the Father, Jesus, and we'll, we'll be okay. And Jesus says pretty clearly, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. <laughs> now, I'm going to be honest with you. So I met some guy on the, if I met some guy on the street and he said to me, yo, I'm God, <laughs> me and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, I would just keep on walking. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, right. And I'm a bean burrito. That's what I'm talking about right there. Forget it. I'm going to keep on walking. What does Jesus do instead? He takes a different approach because he knows we're not going to be able to digest that right away. What does he do? Over the course of three to four years, he builds a close relationship with a few disciples. He shows them what God is really like. He teaches them about the kingdom. He teaches them how to live in this new way. He shows them signs and wonders and miracles, you know, like healing diseases, kicking demons out, raising people from the dead, stuff like that, right? And here in this scene, Jesus is actually just referring back to all that he's done. If you don't believe me, just believe the evidence of the works that you've seen me do, all that, that you've seen in the last couple years. Jesus is God with skin on. <laughs> Jesus is the God-man, <laughs> like not unlike Spider-Man or Batman or Superman. We know he could take all of those guys. Jesus is the God-man, okay? He stands all above our imaginary superheroes. This is the real thing. So let me ask you, if a God-man were to come here and to walk among us, what would you expect? What would you expect? I would expect a God-man to do miracles. Check. I would expect a God-man to have the most profound teaching in all of history. Check. I would expect a God-man to be sinless and overcome temptation. Check. I would expect a God-man to have power over evil and disease and death. Check. Jesus exceeds our expectation. He does all of this and more and when he makes claims about his God's status. And John 14, guys, is not an isolated passage. Jesus is making claims about his God's status all over the place in different ways, dropping clues to his disciples like, I am the bread of life. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the son of man, which is not a claim to his humanity. It's actually a claim to his divinity. Check out Daniel chapter 6 or 7. Talks about the son of man becoming uh, giving a, God giving authority to this son of man. That's God. And then he also claims to be the son of God. And he blesses people that call him the son of God. You don't do that if you know you're not the son of God. He knows. And he is one with the father. So when he makes the claim, I am the way, the truth, and the life, we have a choice to make. Just like the people in Jesus' day did as well. About 27 years ago in 1994, anybody remember that year? <laughs> it was the year I graduated high school. Oh, that makes me feel old. So there was this guy, this rabbi, Menachem Mendel Schneerson. Hope I pronounced that right. He died. And in this sect of Judaism, his followers actually thought he was the Messiah. Although he never claimed to be the Messiah. 
And what was the sign that they were expecting from him to claim his messiahship? Resurrecting from his grave in Queens, New York, 1994. And some of his followers were so fervent in their belief, they actually slept at his tomb waiting for him to come up out of the grave. Well, guess what? It never happened. It never happened. And the cool thing is there are still people alive today, 27 years later, that can verify it. Yeah, we were there. It didn't happen. He didn't rise from the grave. He is not the Messiah. Well, how does this apply to Jesus? Well, when Paul writes about Jesus' resurrection 19 or so years later, after it happened, it's stated as matter of fact. It is undisputed. Here's actually one of the, the first letters Paul writes, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says this to comfort people who were concerned about the people who fell asleep believing in Christ. He says this, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve as the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus everyone who has fallen asleep in him. Now, here's the cool part. At about 19 or so years later, there would have been people still alive, eyewitnesses, to, to confirm this, what he writes. And that's a great way, guys, to keep legends from developing. Just put something out there that others who saw it can either confirm or refute it. That's not a legend. The resurrection of Jesus cannot be a legend. It is actually the most scrutinized event in history. In our view circle on Tuesday night, we actually shared about the presence of ancient creeds. These were uh, words they put together in oral tradition to share the message of Jesus from person to person. Uh, some of our New Testament contains these creeds that proclaim that Jesus died and that he was resurrected from an early start. From within months to a year after the event of Jesus, these creeds were present. That's where they learned them from, to actually insert them into the biblical text. Rabbi Schneerson, sorry, he didn't rise from the dead. He wasn't the Messiah that people were hoping for. Jesus of Nazareth, he did rise from the dead. And according to 1 Corinthians 15, one of those early creeds that I mentioned earlier, over 500 people saw him alive at the same time. Then the risen Jesus appeared to a guy named Paul, whom you know as an enemy of early Christians. He was persecuting them, putting them to death and such. He appeared to this guy, and Paul changes his mind and becomes one of the most passionate defenders of the faith. How do you explain that? How do you explain that? We have the uniqueness of Jesus and his claims to be the God-man, backed up by the evidence of his works, all the healings, all the miracles, the casting out demons, raising people from the dead. We also have the resurrection of Jesus himself, evidence that you can't shut God up. You can't stop him. But let me take it a little bit further. How would a resurrected Jesus affect his followers who were all scattered and in hiding? They were fearing for their lives. Let me paint this for you. They saw Jesus crucified. They saw him die. They saw him put in a tomb. They saw that tomb sealed and guarded by Roman soldiers. It's game over. 
in their minds. And they go into hiding because they're thinking they're next. If, if they find us, they're putting us up on a cross just like they did Jesus. They're in hiding. How does a resurrected Jesus affect these guys? Well, just as you would expect. The book of Acts tells the whole story. You really need to read through that sometime. But I want to zoom into Acts chapter 5 for you. In the interest of time, I'm just going to summarize a lot of it. Jesus' disciples, they're now called apostles. And they are so confident in the risen Jesus. They're preaching. They're healing people. They're exercising demons in his name. They get arrested and put into jail. And what happened? The, the, The chains just fall off and they walk right out. So what do they do? They go back to the temple courts and they're preaching again. And they get arrested again. And they're brought before the Sanhedrin, the the highest religious court they have, the same court that put Jesus on trial before Pilate and got him crucified. They appear before these guys and Peter, uh, they they warn the apostles, we told you not to teach in Jesus' name. And Peter, he just unloads. We must obey God rather than men. And Peter responds, they lashed out at these religious leaders for killing Jesus. And they boldly proclaimed the resurrection. (laughs) Those religious guys, they were furious and they wanted to kill him right there on the spot. But then one of their honored leaders speaks up, Gamaliel. You got to listen to this. Here's what Gamaliel said. Men of Israel, verse 35, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. And then he talks about two other guys who led a rebellion, started a big movement, and they were killed, and their, their event just kind of fizzled to nothing, right? Well, 38, verse 38 says this, Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will only be able, not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Take it from Gamaliel, y'all. The resurrection of Jesus made hiding and mourning disciples unstoppable. Unstoppable, according to Gamaliel. Because here we are, church, 2,000 or so years later, still proclaiming Jesus' death and resurrection. You can't stop this. You can't stop this. Although there's a lot of people that have tried. There's a few brilliant people that actually tried to disprove Christianity, and then they became followers, passionate defenders of the faith. Lionel Lacou, I hope I said that right. Did I say that right? Okay, thanks. Uh, Politician, he's a diplomat, he's a well-known lawyer. He actually ends up coming to faith in Christ at 64 years old, and then lives the rest of his life defending the faith. J. Warner Wallace He was a cold case detective who applied his skills at cold cases and murder to Jesus and actually came to faith in Christ because of it. You might know the story of Lee Strobel, an investigative journalist with the Chicago Tribune. This guy wanted to disprove Christianity so bad because his wife became a believer, he ends up proving it after he finds out the facts of the case. And then C.S. Lewis, an Oxford professor, atheist guy, Uh, He was speaking to this and tried to research this and actually came to faith in Christ himself. Here's actually one of his famous quotes from Mere Christianity, one of his biggest works. He says this about people chalking up Jesus to a good moral teacher. Here's what he says. I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, 
but I don't accept his claim to be God, was C.S. Lewis say. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things he said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg. I love that. Meaning he thinks he's God, but he's not in touch with reality. Or else he would be the devil of hell. Meaning he's not God and he knows it and he's trying to deceive us intentionally. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come away with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great moral teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Amen. Amen. This is actually called Lewis's trilemma. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. Those are the only options. People try to insert this legend idea, but the New Testament writers and the early creeds take care of that whatsoever. It wipes it out of the water. He's either a liar, lunatic, or he is Lord. Here's the key point. When you grasp who Jesus is, you will understand why he's the only way. Jesus is Lord over all. He doesn't even need us to acknowledge him as Lord, to be the Lord. That's how much he's in charge. <laughs> Do you see that? I remember back uh, when our, our boys were younger, um, Caleb was maybe seven, eight years old. Kobe was three or four years old. We're vacationing in Florida swimming in this huge pool. We were like the only ones there. And Kobe was just kind of hanging out at the shallow end, uh, maybe taking the steps or whatever. But here, for whatever reason, he dives into the deepest part of the pool. We heard the splash. We were relaxing at a different part of the pool. And Caleb spoke up two seconds later. He was like, Dad! And he jumps in after Kobe, lifts him up out of the water because he was not coming up. By the time I got there, he's spewing out water. I put him up on the deck, pump his chest, and get the rest of the water out, and he's fine. But, whoa, that all happened in a matter of seconds. What's the reality? Kobe was incapable of saving himself. Unless someone lifted him out and intervened, his fate was certain, and it wasn't pretty. And that's the reality for every single one of us. We are drowning. We are incapable of saving ourselves from sin. We covered this a few weeks ago. We are corrupt to the core. Total, total depravity. None of us are good enough. None of us ever will be compared to God's holy standard. We are hopeless unless God comes to us, unless he rescues us, unless he pays the debt that we owe, unless he leads us back to himself, we are doomed. And that is what Jesus has done. He has come for us. And that's what I believe he's doing right here at this moment. I believe he is at work through his Holy Spirit, drawing everyone else, every one of us back to the reality that we need him. We need a savior. 
because we can't save ourselves. Yeah, but is Jesus the only way? Let me put it to you this way. No other God is coming to rescue you from your desperate position. It's not happening. They're going to be staying in their heaven or paradise or nirvana or wherever and expect you to work your tail off to get to them. Good luck if you're drowning. (laughs) No one else is on the lifeguard stand. Only Jesus. Every religion, every philosophy, every worldview out there, guys, is suggesting that we are the masters of our own universe. We have the power to save ourselves. Uh, And it's completely unbiblical. It is inaccurate. It doesn't line up with reality whatsoever. Every belief system out there is proposing what? Good works. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We can save each other. We can save the planet. Go hug a tree, whatever. (laughs) But they fail. Hear me out. They fail at solving the condition of the human heart. Only Jesus provides a way to cancel our sinful nature. He pays for it all on the cross. He gives us a new nature, a nature that's not going to be dominated by sin. We're still going to struggle. I get that. But Jesus has that covered too. Because God, when he looks at us, he's seeing Jesus' righteousness, not ours. He's got it covered. He paid for it all. Thank you, God. So here we are this morning. You and I have a choice to make. And I believe it's not just to understand Jesus as the way. I want you to make it personal. Is Jesus going to be your way? Is Jesus going to be your way? Are you going to continue to try to impress God, impress others, and work yourself to death? Jesus is the only way to get to the Father. You've got to own that for yourself. You've got to make it personal. Here's how to do it. Just a very simple prayer to express your belief that he is the only way that he is your Lord and Savior, that you commit to following him. That is all it takes to begin this journey of knowing and following Jesus. And then we, can, we would love to help you with that journey wherever you're at to take your next step with him. One more thing, church, as we close here, as our worship team is coming up, I need to address this with all of us, the church. When we say that Jesus is the only way, This isn't an arrogant claim, but a humble, desperate plea. Do you see the difference? Please, do not make other people feel inferior if they believe something different than you. The world totally does not need that right now. What they need is Christians who believe that Jesus is Lord over all. And then they live like it. They need Christians who will love people enough to get into tough conversations, to share truth with people that we have contact with, and then to back it up with their works. Let that be the evidence that people see when they look at how we live. May they see Jesus with arms wide open when they look at us. Because here's the reality, church. The gospel of Jesus is exclusive in its claims but it is inclusive in its reach. John 3, 16, you know this. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. 
John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's all of us. And then 1 John 3, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, for that is what we are. Listen to this. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. It did not know him. May we really get to know who he is today, church. May we not mistake his identity. He is the God of the universe. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Lord over all creation, and he's here to reach you wherever you're at. The only God that's going to come to save you. When you grasp who Jesus is, you will understand why he is the only way. The only way. Will you pray with me? Jesus, right here in this moment, through your Holy Spirit, show us who you really are. Show us that you paid it all for us because that's how serious our sin is. And that's also how big your love is for us. God, I'm praying that we as a church would never get over the fact that you, our God, came to rescue us. You died in our place. And then you overcame death once and for all. God, I pray that you would help us to respond to your great love today by giving our whole lives to you, holding nothing back. We pray it in the powerful, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Church, as we close in this song, I'm going to call you to respond to Jesus. He's here. He is Lord over all, and he is worthy, the only one worthy of your worship. As we sing this song, I want this place to explode in worship. If you need to do some business with God, the front is open. Definitely come forward. Uh, go see our, our people in our prayer room. They would love to pray with you. Uh, if you have questions about any of this, uh, they would love to help you out. So uh, let's stand together and worship. Thank you.